0: You know, before we dive into our series and continue our series on the Holy Spirit, um, really come to you with a heavy heart. Uh, If you've kept track with the news, yesterday was a heart-wrenching day where a gunman, a teenager, um, traveled many miles out of his way intentionally uh, to go and kill uh, African Americans. Went to an African-American community. Uh, He posted online a white supremacist manifesto. And horrifically, he actually filmed the whole thing. It was uploaded to the internet for a few minutes, and they pulled it down. Um, Many were shot. 10 were killed. All 10 were African-American. And if you're like me, I I don't want to pause and engage in these moments. Um, But the truth is, when we don't engage, our hearts become desensitized, they become numb. We come to a place where we accept and normalize what we shouldn't. And then, as things progress, I think of, as we begin to see a rise in Asian American hate crimes, by and large, I felt like so many hearts were numb, and not as attentive as we should've, but I think it's just through the ongoing brokenness that we see when we don't engage, and then when we need to engage, our hearts are already shut off. And so the scriptures actually guide us in that the majority of the Psalms, the Psalms is the prayer book of the Bible. If you struggle to pray, I encourage you just read a Psalm and incorporate it into your prayers. And if you do so, you'll discover very quickly that I believe it's over 75% of the Psalms are prayers of lament. These are prayers they're almost like spiritual protest because they come to God and saying, what is, should not be. This is not how you created the world to be. And we engage in the longing, the suffering, the, the, the mourning, and we cry out to you for a world that matches up with your design. And so I want to invite us to just a time of silence, lamenting in our hearts, and then we'll close in prayer. Would you join me at this time? Lord Jesus, our hearts are heavy, as we think of the loved ones that are having to say goodbye to family because of this tragedy, Lord, as we think of African American community and how this can be so triggering and just the repetitive trauma, as we think of, Lord, just the The demonic lies of white supremacy and how it could infiltrate a young mind to inflict such harm, such vile violence and death. Jesus, we we call out and recognize the very human, Lord, element of this. There's so much brokenness that we could see, but we also recognize that there are spiritual forces at work. Your word says there's principalities and powers that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And Lord, we call out the demonic lie of racism, God, that results in this kind of violence in Jesus. We say, we need your kingdom to come. We need your justice, your beauty, your love. We need, Lord, for your eyes to become our eyes where we would see the dignity in one another, your image in one another and that we would actively fight the lies that pit us against each other. We pray comfort for the families that have lost loved ones. We pray peace for the the town, the city of Buffalo. We pray for wisdom, for law enforcement. God, and we pray, Lord, that our hearts would not become cold and desensitized. Teach us to feel as you feel and to act as you would call us to act. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for engaging in that time. We're going to go straight to Scripture as we continue this sermon series. And if this is your first time with us, first time with us in in a while, and you haven't been engaging online, I encourage you to go to our website, catch up with the previous sermon so that you could hear where we've been, especially as we prepare to shift. If the last couple weeks we've talked a lot about the hidden inner work of the Holy Spirit, how he affirms our identity as children of God, how he works in us and teaches us how to walk with him. And today we're continuing that. Next week we're going to begin to shift and talk about his outer work, the power, the gifts of the Holy Spirit But we were intentional to make sure that we laid the groundwork because often we focus on the Holy Spirit on the demonstrative, the the things that we can see with the naked eye or experience with our senses and miss out on the amazing things that he alone can do in us. And today, what we're going to see in Scripture is one of the most amazing things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life and mine what we're going to read, every single one of us desperately needs what he has to offer, and we're going to find out what that is. Galatians chapter 5, verse 18 to 26 says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. We pray you speak to every single one of us, open our hearts. Give us ears to hear your voice. Illuminate your word. Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus. Reveal him to each and every one of us. We love you, Father. May our affection and our obedience to you grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Recently I realized that my kids have been robbed of an opportunity to lie that was readily available to me as a kid. You say, that sounds strange, Chris. You want your kids to lie? No, hear me out. When I was a kid, there was the option to hide your report card from your parents. Ah, right? That no longer exists, if you don't know, because it gets sent to us digitally. And so we are the type of parents that if one of our kids, and uh, some of our... I won't give names, but some of our kids can be a little bit confident when they go and say, I got this, I got this, I, I'm going to go take a test, I got this, mom and dad, I studied, I studied, and then when we look at the grades, we realize, oh, no, no, you did not got this, you know, like, you, <laughs> this is bad. And so, so my wife in particular, she's like the refresh queen on her phone, she's like, Where's the grade? Where's the grade? So there's literally, we're we're in the car. She just took the test. How'd you do? Oh, I did great. How'd you do? Oh, I did great. I'm like, did they really do great? And then we find out, or we find out the opposite. Yes, you did great. But they don't have the option to hide the report card. Can I tell you that I think we do that spiritually a lot. When we look at scripture, there's an often temptation to hide the report card of Scripture, to actually not want to face the assessment that God gives us of ourselves. And that's what grades ultimately are. They're not a condemnation. They're an assessment. They, lo- they help us locate where we're at. Doesn't mean you have to stay there, but it helps you pinpoint, this is where I'm at. And then one of the strongest arguments for the fact that the scriptures are actually inspired by God because perhaps you've heard this argument I know I've heard it over and over when I would share my faith some folks would say man you believe that bible that's man made people wrote that that's not the that's not the word of God and yet to that I would say if people wrote it I think we would have been more flattering to ourselves because if you actually read what the bible tells us about us it's not flattering at all it's actually quite humbling. I love this quote by Max Dupree. He says the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. As your pastor, what I've been entrusted with is the responsibility to define our reality in light of Scripture. And when we look at the text that we just read, we have to ask the question, what's the reality that God is trying to define for us? And when we look at it, we come across some really interesting things. First off, there's this term in these verses and in other places of the Bible. It's not just isolated here. The term is called the flesh. The flesh. Now, at first glance, that can be a bit confusing. You think that Paul, the writer of this letter to the church that was gathering in Galatia, um, that he's talking about just physical bodies, the flesh, skin and bones, but actually he's talking about something way deeper. When it refers to the flesh in the Scriptures, is actually talking about our sinful nature and the desires that emanate from this nature. And so when Paul is listing all of these acts of the flesh, that's verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious, and he begins to list all of these things, he's listing behaviors that flow out of a nature. Saying, this nature, this sinful nature, these are the ways that it acts out. And now, if you read this text, as often we get tempted to read the Bible in a religious manner, it's very easy to look at this text and kind of look at the things and say, nah, I'm good, none of these apply to me. (laughs) Because you look at it it's like, 't I'm not an idolater no I'm definitely not I'm not into debauchery or fits of rage i'm the I'm the nicest person in the world but here's one phrase that's kind of a downer, but again, we're defining reality. Paul says at the end of verse twenty one it says an envy drunkenness and the like. can you say those words with me and the like what that phrase communicates is that this is by no means meant to be some exhaustive, static list. The flesh, sinful nature, these are some of the ways that it manifests, but it's not limited to these things. And so if you looked at this list and said, phew, honey, we made it, we're good, and the like, there are ways that your sinful nature in particular, manifest through you. The way I struggle with my sinful nature is not the way you struggle with your sinful nature, and vice versa, and the like. What we hear described, what we have to assess, the reality that's being defined for us, is that the sinful nature is in this continuous state of defiance against God. This is sad, troubling news. In other words, the sinful nature will never reach a point where it will wave the white flag and say, you know what, after years and years of trying to convince you to go otherwise, I see you're resolute. Man, I'm good. I'm going to take a vacation. Let's part ways, live a good life. I'm never going to bother you again. That's, that day is never going to come. The sinful nature will never stop being in defiance against God. It will always seek to usurp God's rule. It will never stop. You know, growing up, um, late teenage years, early 20s, I got a lot of slack for this. Friends of mine were like, we're going to revoke your hood card. You can't say you grew up in the hood because you because you like this show, can't say you're Puerto Rican, what's wrong with you? Um, I love the show, Frasier. I just loved it, I just loved it. It was like, some of you are like, oh. But anyway, whatever, judge me all you want. I love the show, uh, the, the, the banter, the humor, the wit. He reminds me of certain professors I had in college. There's this character on the show, he's, he's only written up for a few episodes, his name is Simon. Now Simon is the brother of Daphne. Daphne eventually marries Niles, and you're like, please don't tell me storylines, I'm not interested. And just just work with me, I'm going somewhere. Simon, he's from the UK, so his accent is just unbelievably amazing. And he's also a really bad drunk. So he's always drunk, he's always just acting a fool. And the storyline is that his mother, in her old age, her husband leaves her. Now you gotta imagine this woman her, her latter years, she had a vision of she would grow old with her husband. He's left her. And now she puts all her hopes in Simon. She goes around saying, Simon's going to take care of me. And there's this moment where he has this brutally honest conversation with his sister. and says, I know this might make me a bad person, but I don't have it in me. I'm leaving. I'm not going to take care of mom." And it was just like this really yucky moment where they all had to realize and and wrestle with, she's going to be heartbroken. He's, He's going to the other side of the country. He's washing his hands of his mother. Just had to accept this is ugly. We don't like it, but it is what it is. Similarly with our flesh, we have to accept however cultured we've become, however educated we might be, However refined or mature as we might be in certain areas of our life, it doesn't negate the fact that you and I wrestle with this nature that the Scriptures define as an utter defiance against God, and it will never change. And we have to accept that. That for the rest of your life, if you choose to follow Jesus, you will have this nature that will menace, harass you, Seek to distract you, pull you away, entice you, wrestle with you. That's what we're being told in the scriptures. But look at what it says about how far this goes. This is not just talking about a sinful nature and how it acts out. Paul says something very alarming. He says in verse 21 at the latter part, he says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this Will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is some intense language there. Paul is saying that those who live under the rule and reign of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now to be clear, when he, those words, those who live like this, when you dive into the original language, the tense of those words implies people who continuously live like this, who you have a habit, a lifestyle, it's ingrained in you, there's no deviation. It's not talking about a one-time slip-up and you and you confessed it and you repented and you, and you sought God's help and, and you walked that through in community and you don't want that because you know it's not pleasing to God and, you, and you're trying to walk the right path. It's not talking about those kind of situations. It's talking about Someone who is ruled and reigned by the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so not only is this a hard pill to swallow to realize that for the rest of your journey and mine, we have this sinful nature that's constantly going to menace and claw and gnaw at us and constantly try to uh, resist God's will in our life. But on top of that, it could go as far as this sinful nature and the flesh could actually exclude us from the kingdom of God. If that doesn't have your attention, I don't know what will. This is a serious conversation that God's having with us. But I need to pause here for a moment. As I've read this text so many times as a Christian, and and I've preached on it, I realized something, that on the surface, if you just read the text on the surface, you could actually arrive at some troubling false conclusions because this, a surface reading of this could lead one to believe that the way we inherit the kingdom of God is by good behavior. If Paul is saying if you live by the flesh and you act out in these ways that could exclude you from the kingdom, is he saying the opposite as well is true, that actually good behavior and, and abstaining from certain things and practicing other things, that that is what actually leads us into the kingdom of God. Why I pause there, and, and we need to define that, is because there is such a thing as false teaching that exists in the world. Not every it, One of the big dangers now is that more people get their theology from TikTok than Scripture. It's scary. So It's like, where'd you get that? Oh, such and such influence was shared that. Did they even crack open the Bible? I know that sounded inspirational, it sounded nice and upbeat, but it's actually rooted in Scripture. And one of the things that often creates false teaching is that we take certain statements from Scripture and we isolate them, and we don't let the rest of Scripture help us interpret it. It's kind of like a conversation I had a few weeks ago with my daughter. I said, hey, what you just did was very selfish. And she said, are you trying to say I'm selfish? She's 13. She has this idea that she could talk back to me sometimes. It's a very false idea. I said, no. Let me, let's let's go. Let's establish the rules of the English language. What did I just say in that sentence? I never said you are selfish. I said what you did was selfish. There's a big difference. I think you're a very generous charitable person. But what you did is selfish. Now, since you wanted to dig deeper in this, let me elucidate further. <laughs> if you continue to do what you did, then maybe you might have to examine that maybe you are becoming a selfish person, not just doing selfish things. We, it, isolating something, and, and, and so that's what was happening there. She was isolating statements saying, oh, does it mean this? Isolating this text and assuming meaning that it's not saying could be very dangerous because as we dig deeper and we look at the rest of scripture, we have to wrestle with these thoughts. If we're saved by grace through faith and it is not by works, what do we do with this text? Because on the surface, it gives us the implication that our behavior could exclude us from the kingdom of God. If our works don't save us, good behavior doesn't grant us entry into the kingdom of God nor does our bad works disqualify us because we're saved by grace, then Paul must be pointing to something else. And what he's pointing to is actually incredibly alarming. What he tells us is that the flesh is in such utter defiance against God that the flesh will bring you and I to a place where it will close the door of heaven on ourselves where it will not want the rule and reign of God. Not that God is saying, I don't want you here, because he welcomes all of us, broken, defiant, sinners that run from him. He loves all of us. And the footing of the cross is the same for all of us. We're all saved by grace, not by works. But the flesh is so dangerous, so menacing, so hostile, that it would literally, if unchecked, can lead us to a place where we slam the door on God's face and say, I don't want your invitation. So now, if the flesh is so heinous, if it's constantly menacing, if it can reach to that point to actually not only defy God, but utterly resist Him to that extent, what is God's solution? What is God's help? Because we desperately need it. And the good news in this text is that the help that he gives us is the fruit of the Spirit. Can you say that with me? The fruit of the Spirit. Look at what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's amazing because what Paul tells us is that the result of the Holy Spirit living inside of us and you and I learning to walk with the Spirit, that over time what happens is that the Holy Spirit bears in us Christ-like character. That one of the deep inner works of the Holy Spirit that right now he's chiseling away in you and me He's removing anything that doesn't look like Jesus. And in exchange, he's implanting in us seeds that will bear out to be Christ-like character so that we can look more and more like Jesus in the depths of our soul and how that manifests in this world. The hope that we have against the flesh, against its constant gnawing and defiance and how far it'll take us, is this deep, inner, transformative work. So much so, Paul says that because of the fruit of the Spirit, he gives us that phrase, you are not under the law. The Holy Spirit creates this amazing state of reality for us, him bearing fruit in our lives, where Paul says, you are not under the law. I wish I had a couple weeks just to unpack that phrase. Maybe in the future, I'm going to try to do it as succinctly as possible. How many have ever driven above the speed limit? Now, I need you to know, when I raised my hand, that was not for me to cue you to be honest. That was me trying to be the first among us. (laughs) That's been a tough law for me to have a good relationship with. And so there was a couple years, uh, COVID disrupted it, but for a couple years, I would plan a post-Easter trip. It would actually help me to get through the Easter season. Cuz in addition to church services and all the things that we have, there's family gatherings and all. It's packed. And if you don't know, I'm an introvert and so a deep introvert. I actually get energized by myself. And so Easter weekend is an utter nightmare. And so like I'm just <laughs> stretched and just like ah just get away from me and and but that doesn't happen. So mentally it's just like there's a trip coming up I would go with my best friend, and we'd travel different places for a couple of days. I have a great wife. Um, and so she'd say, go, you need it. So we did a trip to Montreal. Have you ever been to Montreal? Great place. Um, if you, it literally feels like you drove into Europe. Um, just a long drive from New York. During that trip, I was driving my friend's Mercedes-Benz truck. Now, at that time in my life, I had a Mazda 626 which was very, very tiny, by the way. I used to look like Shrek getting in and out of this car. Very, very small. But on top of it, when I would press the gas, the car would deliberate, almost like, I don't know if I want to move, Chris. It, like, it just didn't accelerate good. So I was used to having to, like, really push it just to get, like, decent mileage. This Mercedes-Benz truck, oh, that was a different story. That thing when you, voom. so. It was a dangerous cocktail of things happening at that moment. Mercedes-Benz truck, going super fast, and really good rap music. And so I was in the zone. I was going 95 miles an hour, and I didn't know it. It didn't feel like it. And then something tragic happened. Like, this is what happened. It went into a construction zone. So now... The speed limit was 75. I was still going over. It dropped down to 55. You do the math. I was going 40 miles above the speed limit. Got stopped in Peru, New York. How do you know that town so specifically? I will never forget that town for the rest of my life, because I got pulled over and faced the scariest ticket ever. The cop just clearly said, I could arrest you right now, clearly. Take your license. You don't drive for years. And I was like, man, Peru, New York. I never even heard of this town. I already hate it now. I have a bad relationship with it. And also, like, couldn't even get creative. Leave Peru alone. You know, it's its own place. Come up with your own name, Peru, New York. And so all this is going through my mind. I was like, police officer, please. Um, I have kids. I have something to live for. (laughs) He was lenient. It was the most expensive ticket I've ever paid in my life. What's that law in place for? It's in place to curb any tendency to go and drive above, and it's in place to try to elicit good driving. That's what laws are in place for, to curb bad tendencies, to encourage good ones. The law of God is no different. God's law is given to us to curb our baser tendencies and to inspire us to live to our higher tendencies. But the tricky thing about laws, if you obey them, you're good. But if you disobey them, you're condemned. You're guilty. So here's what's amazing. When Paul says the fruit of the Spirit empowers us to not live under the law, he says you will no longer need external commands to curb your appetites or incite you to live better Life will be born inside of you. Fruit will be born inside of you. It won't be religious code that gets you to try to conform to this behavior or that. It will come out of you naturally. Because this life will be inside of you and you will want the things that God wants. You will desire what he wants as the Holy Spirit is bearing this fruit in us. Why is that good news? Because for some of us, perhaps you thought following Jesus was a life of you just constantly trying to force it. You're so stressed because your sinful nature is constantly knocking at the door, and your only reprieve or your only solution is try harder and white knuckle it and don't give in. My gosh, that's stressful. And that's unsustainable. You will crack. You will revert. But the good news is we're not invited to a lifelong journey of just trying harder and never getting it right. What we're invited into is this dynamic living relationship with the Holy Spirit over time, creates Christ-like character in you, where you will naturally want to want and do what God calls us to do, and it won't be forced. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that something to live for, to long for? Isn't that something we need? If you're exhausted with religion, this is good news. Because this is not an invitation for more religion. This is an invitation for the life of God to bear fruit in us. And we'll find ourselves wanting what he wants, looking like he does, choosing what he wants us to choose. And it'll flow out of us because Christ-like character will be born in us. It's amazing. But I'll be honest, as I was preparing for this message, this was a hard message to wrestle with and prepare for. Because as I looked at my own life, I saw a lot of fruit lacking. Now, I need to preface that. This last year has been one of the most amazing years of my life in ministry. The doors that God has opened in our city have been astounding. Uh, some of you know this, some of you don't. In addition to pastoring, I've been doing some work equipping churches to engage in the foster care crisis throughout New York City, and we're signing up churches throughout the boroughs to help kids in the foster You're going to hear more about this because when you hear the data, oh, it's heart-wrenching. This past year, one of the breakthroughs of breakthroughs happened. We met with the new commissioner of ACS. If you don't know what ACS is, it's the significant institution that manages all child welfare services in new york they have officially opened the door for churches to enter into this space they said we want you to help us in this crisis this has never happened before amazing in addition you're like how many jobs you got a lot just listen i got a job per kid and so In addition, I also work with this other organization that focuses on planting churches throughout New York City, and our vision is to plant 250-plus churches. It's this 10-year vision, a couple years left, and you say, man, that's a big goal. We serve a big God, and it's obtainable. Like, this thing that seems so outlandish, I can tell you it's obtainable. I, I can tell you story after story, but in the midst of pointing to all this evidence of God's goodness, when I look deep in my soul and I look at the fruit of the Spirit, I say, man, where is joy? Where is kindness? Where is peace? Did you know peace is not just a state of mind, it's a fruit of the Spirit? Where's goodness? forbearance. How many want to quit? Just all sorts of things. Some of you want to quit so bad you don't even want to raise your hand. And so (laughs) I quit raising my hand last week, Chris. Um, Faithfulness. Love. I see some of these fruit. There's some that are not as mature as I would like. Very convicting. I'm up here not as someone who is mastered this or and and I'm here to show you the way I'm up here as someone who is recognizing when I look at what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life this list has provoked me to hunger I want that I want what he has to offer as I prayed through this because I was feeling a bit discouraged, I'll be honest. I was like, man, I see you do all this amazing stuff. And then I remember, you know, a recent exchange with my son. I didn't feel much for the fruit of the Spirit then. And, and I see you doing all this great stuff. And then I remember this situation with, with a colleague in ministry. And, man, I didn't feel a lot of love there. And, and the absence of those, so it was, it was discouraging at times. And then the Holy Spirit reminded me of a real-life situation that I walked through. This was many years ago. I've shared this at different points. Um, when I first came to Christ, I was a teenager. I was 14. It was September 26, 1994. And right after, there was a, a young guy, same age as me. He came to Christ. And in the words of my mother, who at that point wasn't a believer, she said, that guy can't be a Christian. I was like, Mom, that's really judgmental. She's like, ah, the followers of Jesus need to be humble. That's... that's <laughs> She's saying this in Spanish, and so it was very, very powerful when she said it. Like, no es humilde. And so he's just, it, he, this dude was one of the most arrogant human beings I've ever met in my life. You don't understand. The things he would say, the, the energy he would infuse into a room, it was tough. And, um, and I don't do like, like poker face as well. I don't do fake well. And so it was really wrestling for me because I'm just like, I don't like him. And also, the way I grew up, if you play yourself a couple times, you're going to get smacked. And so like it was just like, I don't want to smack somebody in church. Like, I'm a teenager. I'm trying to follow Jesus. It was like, this dude's going to get smacked one Sunday. It's going to happen. And, and so I found myself praying. Because literally, I'd be worshiping, and then I'd see him, and i feel my back tense up. i remember things that he did and said, and i just like, man... So what? What I did for a number of weeks, every night, I would pray for him. And the first couple of weeks, the prayers weren't really that gracious. They was like with my teeth grinning, it was like, Jesus bless him. I just want you to pour your goodness in him. Like it was just like, like clenched. I did not want to pray for him. I didn't want to see God bless him. I would forgive him. I would, I would choose love, and then the next day, and the next day, and he'd do more things, and the next day, and the next day. And I don't know how long it took. It was a couple weeks. But I remember one day, waking up, didn't know this was going to happen, got on the phone, he called me, or I called him, but I knew he was on the phone, and as soon as I heard his voice, I felt no, nothing ill toward him. I was like, oh, my gosh. I, so, I was so shocked that I wanted to test it out. I was like, hey, can we meet later in person? Because I just wanted to test it out. I was like, maybe it was just the phone energy, but if I meet him in person. And when I got around him, I felt nothing but love. And so he never knew how close he was to getting slapped, but God <laughs> saved him, the fruit of the spirit. We became the best of friends for many years. We serve Jesus faithfully. As the Holy Spirit reminded me of that, it was a reminder to not complicate this. An encouragement to look at my life and recognize there's some fruit lacking. But all I have to do is confess that it's lacking, acknowledge that it's lacking, repent where I need to repent, and pray and ask for that to be born in me, and to persist, to refuse to let something grow in the garden of my soul that is not of Christ. Like a farmer, you till the ground, you prepare, but you can't produce life. The farmer does all that work, and the one thing they can't do is produce life. That's the miracle. That's in God's hands. And similarly, there's toil, there's work that we have to do into the soil of our hearts But at the end, it's the Holy Spirit. And that's the good news, folks. You can't produce this. Because if you had to, that would be insurmountable. That would be oppressive. But you don't have to produce this. God does it. As we till the hearts of our uh, the soil of our heart and allow the seed that the Holy Spirit plants to cultivate and grow. And one day, unbeknownst to you, something was growing. And then one day you find yourself having supernatural patience, love that you can't explain, kindness that is not customary for you, forbearance, gentleness, peace. How many want that? The Holy Spirit wants to bear that in you, in your marriage your work relationships and your singleness and your careers with extended family in this city. I don't know about you, but I need all of those nine fruit of the Spirit just to take the train, just just to be in the New York City subway. We need every single thing that the Holy Spirit gives us just to live. And he wants us to have it. So much so that Paul says, those who allow the Holy Spirit to bear this fruit in us, verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The Holy Spirit will render the flesh powerless if we allow him to bear fruit in us. I don't know about you, but I want that. And he wants to freely give it to us. Could we stand as the worship team comes forward? As we stand, could I encourage us could we raise our hands in the presence of God in a posture of surrender, a posture of prayer? And in a moment, as we begin to sing and direct our hearts to God in prayer, the prayer team is available to my right. Notice we switched it. It's over there. Say hi to them. They're back there. Some of you looking back. Oh, yeah, it's a great corner to to meet Jesus. And so... (laughs) At any given moment during these next few moments, you can slip out of your seat, go and receive prayer. Number one, for any of the words that were shared, if any of that resonated, go and receive prayer. But anything that you're carrying, that you need prayer for, anything the message might have stirred, these next few moments can be powerfully transformative as we respond to God. With our hands raised, Jesus, we come to you and we acknowledge when we look at the garden of our souls that there's fruit. lacking but we also acknowledge that fruit has been born and we pray for more fruit we pray for more of your work holy spirit make us more like jesus refine us give us christ-like character may the life that's growing inside of us bear fruit to the point that the death that seeks to creep in is pushed aside Jesus, we come to you. We seek you. Meet us now. Let's worship God in these next few moments.